Welcome to Money Conversations with KJ. KJ is a lifelong entrepreneur who's made a lot of money, lost a lot of money, and found his way back again. If you're looking for a sterile how-to, you're in the wrong place. KJ and his guests will walk you through real-life situations told by the people who live them, and they are as messy as they are inspiring. Each episode will offer lessons learned, advice on how to replicate successes and avoid pitfalls, and a new perspective to power your financial literacy. Far from a one-size-fits-all, this podcast can help you build a roadmap to your personal promised land. Milk and honey for some, whiskey and steak for others, and remind you that you're not alone on this journey welcome everybody welcome back to the show today i've got a really awesome guest so excited to have you here today travis rigo is actually my nephew and um it's i'm really excited to have you here today travis because obviously i've seen your journey since you were a little kid actually and um and you're uh a young man today in your mid thirties and raising your family and uh, to bring you out here, I really think you're going to give a lot of good perspective to the audience out there, the journey that the path that you're on, um, the things that you learned in your life. So uh, welcome to the show. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me. I'm uh, really excited to do this first time ever doing it. So we'll uh, ho- hopefully I can provide some insight and give some uh, interest to excitement, some laughter and all the above. We're going to do it all. It's uh, <laughs> Steak and whiskey for you and me, buddy. Absolutely. Always. So I wanted to start off today, Travis, by just sharing with the audience some of the statistics because, you know, I teach that uh, financial workshop and uh, I'm just going to read them off to you here. You see them up on the board. So uh, students between the ages of 15 and 21 report that they feel unprepared to face the complex world in the 21st century. So share with me back in, you know, when you were in that age bracket there, what were you, what was your mindset with money? What did you think? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, you know, from an early age, I was interested in business and I was already thinking about my future, um, you know, but at the beginning of high school, um, going 15 to 21, I, I think in that age group, uh, in that age gap, there's a lot of um, variables. So obviously, at first, you've got your driving is coming up, right? You just want to be social and fun and have the high school aspect. Um, and then the first thing that people will obviously start really considering the future is college. And I think when it comes to college, a lot of people don't necessarily know what they want to do. They try and figure it out. Um, for me personally, I kind of did. Uh, being here in Las Vegas, I was really excited. I enjoyed the business aspect. Um, I actually wanted to do convention sales. Um, and so I had looked into a couple of sales and marketing um, avenues, um, ended up going to UNLV here. And um, it, it took me into my first job, which I actually worked at Best Buy. Um, did, got a little bit of sales there. It's a little bit more fun. It's not high pressure. It's not commission sales or anything, but at least it got me introduced into that business world. Um, obviously going to college, trying to figure things out, find your path, but catered a little bit more towards what you want to do. Um, once I finished up school and I was going um, and, and working, I transitioned into my first job on the Las Vegas Strip. I worked at the Rio with Caesars Entertainment. I worked there for six years. Um, and then that led me into my current role, which I'm now with MGM Resorts and I've been with them for 11. Um, but definitely I started considering the business and money side of it. I would say right at that tail end of high school, right when I first got my uh, first job, trying to figure out what I wanted to do with college and where that was going to take me. Um, I was in a unique position where uh, I bought my first house very young. And so I had considered um, my finances. I was living with a couple of friends. We had some apartments that we had shared. Um, 
you know, typical stuff. It ruins a couple of relationships. People talk about it. Um, but I start to feel the financial pressure for the first time when you're splitting rent or splitting bills and all of a sudden a friend moves out on you and you really have to say, okay, where am I at? What can I do? What can I support on my own? Um, and really having to think about those things. And so it kind of just jump-started and catapulted me a little bit forward, I think, quicker than most. Um, and then I started just realizing that I was wasting money on rent and doing things. And uh, you and I had had some conversations with some other people and um, decided to end up buying my first house actually at 20, just so I could not waste money on rent, but hopefully have that money work for me that I could then take that equity in the future and roll it. Right. So, you know, think about in the in the past year. So was it do you think it was the educators at school that was teaching you about money? Do you think it was family? Was it both? Where do you think you got a lot of that financial uh, wherewithal to to know that you wanted to do the right things with money and not, uh, I like to say, squander money? Right. Because I teach I teach, especially like I've taught my kids and I teach other people in the class. We really have to learn the difference between wants and needs. Mm-hmm. Right. And and wants always outweigh the needs. You know what I mean? Everybody wants everything, but what do you really need, right? And this is where Monday, the money just starts going away. And you're wondering, why am I broke? Why I make money? Why am I broke? Well, you're spending more money on wants than you are the needs, right? Yeah. But it says here also, so the majority of educators were not given a financial education course and feel unprepared to teach the subject. Many lack the confidence to teach it to the students, which tells us in school, right, as you're going through high school or maybe even share with with everybody in college. I mean, back to school, what what did you learn in school about financial literacy? Yeah, that was one of the main things that we had um, discussed, especially getting into college and especially after college, you know, looking back at it. Um, you know, some of the things that you learn in school and although the early education stuff, I think you're just trying to figure out your way. They're teaching a lot of history, right? English and um, dotting your I's, crossing your T's, doing things the right way. But um, as far as preparing you for the real world, you know, there's no courses that teach you how to balance a checkbook, right? It teaches you math and numbers. And you would think that you can ideally figure that out, but it's not an inherent course or anybody that says, hey, listen, this is going to be a major part of your life after school is whatever path that it takes you on, whatever you find that you want to do, you're still going to need to figure out your finances, your money, um, balancing a checkbook, paying taxes, understanding, um, you know, the, the wants and needs, like you said, of saying, here's how to really set a budget, you know, and as much as um, in high school, especially they skip over a lot of that. But even in college, um, once I found my major and I went into hospitality management, they had a few courses that were geared towards that. Um, I remember one of the courses when we were running through statistics and uh, statistics and probability is that for me, because I was going into the gaming side, we played craps and we actually ran through math and statistics because it was catered a little bit more towards what I was going to use. But when you think about the early education, if somebody could have said, okay, here's something you're going to need to know um, and plan in the back of your mind, um, you know, pay yourself first. Or when you start going and actually making money, um, having a savings account, the difference of savings and checking, not just all of one lump sum of money. This is what you have and this is what comes in. This is where it, out, it goes out to paying bills, right? Everybody wants to have fun and spend their money and go out and party at that young age, but they don't necessarily think of, okay, I need to have the what if. And a lot of people just don't start planning for that until it's kind of too late or they're already behind the eight ball a little bit. I think that really brings us into this third one here that makes a lot of sense what you just described. So it goes on to say the majority of college students say they pick up most of their personal financial education from their parents. But less than half of students said their parents make a consistent conscientious effort to teach them. 
about 70% of college students say their parents are their main source of information. So you just described, right, how during that age bracket, 15, 20 to 21, that we, we, we really are leaning on our parents, but not, I don't think people are verbal about it. Like, yeah. hey, mom, hey, dad, teach me this, right? Mm-hmm. Because, you know, I always say parents can't teach what parents don't know, right? And so if we're expecting our parents to teach us, but in fact, they're not doing it. They can't. And it's and again, I believe I just had experiences for for years now of, of sitting one on one with people and talking their finances and whatnot. And, and um, I find that there's so many and across the whole country. Remember, I used to travel doing this and I found that so many people out there, good, hardworking people, nice people, good people, but without financial literacy and in their ages of 40s, 50s, 60s, couldn't come up with a $20,000 program that we were trying to put out there. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, Just like, just don't have it. I'm like, well, both of you guys are working. You make on paper here. You're showing me you're making, you know, mid six, you know, six figures above. Mm -hmm. So you guys are doing good. So what I found out was, so these people, what most people do because they don't learn whether it be between 15 and 21 or 30 to 50, it really doesn't matter. You, there's no age to learn this. You should learn it at some point in time, right? That they weren't, um, implementing separating them indigo you mentioned having a checking and a savings mm-hmm. because if most people only have a checking they start commingling money mm-hmm. and you never really know where you sit now like right. am i spending the bill money on the want right instead of i need to pay the power bill sure sure you know what i mean or i want to go for the weekend wherever and so it's real important which you know you learned early like i don't want to commingle my money yeah and, right? and honestly i think uh, going back to the parents i mean a lot of people, if your parents aren't necessarily as, you know, fluent with it and they they don't necessarily know, a lot of kids at that age, they just want to hang out with their friends, right? And they don't necessarily approach their parents and, like you said, ask. But at the same time, even if their parents are giving the information, they're probably not retaining it. You know, a lot of times they just want to do what their friends are doing. And, oh, you can afford that? Oh, I can afford that? Okay, well, let's just go and do it. And they're not necessarily thinking long term. Um, I think that that's just a part of an inherent human just of adolescent growing up. I mean, you're going to make those mistakes, but I think if you can have at least the conversation and have it in the back of the mind somewhere, then that starts to kind of flip that switch. Right. And just have that trigger that just says, do I really need to do this? I I can do it, but do I need to, I remember I was thinking about this or, Oh, somebody mentioned this. Um, for me, yeah, a lot of those conversations didn't necessarily come with my parents, but they came with a couple of friends. Um, and, and as I wanted to grow in business, I tried to find some mentors and I tried to find some other people that I could talk to. Um, obviously I had many conversations with you, my other aunt growing up, um, you know, my parents, they, uh, did what they could do and still a lot of other values, but unfortunately financial and money wasn't necessarily, um, at the forefront. So what do you think? I mean, I mean, we got listeners out there probably in your same, you know, age bracket, mid thirties or what have you, and you've got a couple of young kids at home. What kind of advice would you give them if they're maybe getting, you know, maybe getting ready to get married, maybe married, getting ready to have kids. What can you do to, to advice to give them because you guys are close in, in range that would help them, um, get to where they want to be or well, I mean, again, I feel that you're sitting pretty for your age. You're sitting, you're right on target. I mean, I'm not worried about you having a, a probably a really awesome retirement. Yeah. I mean, I, first and foremost, the, the best advice that I can give is, is you're never ready. 
You know, I think a lot of people want to say, well, let's let's hit this point, even if you are goal oriented or even if you are financially savvy and even if you want to say, look, I just want to get to this point and then we'll be ready. You're never going to be ready. So whatever it may be, whenever it happens, you're going to figure it out. There's a lot of people in a lot worse situations than you that have kids that end up just figuring it out, you know, whether it's a support system from friends, family, coworkers um, or all of a sudden that inherent parent just values and, and those traits that they just pop up and you just kind of figure it out. Um, so the first and foremost, I would say is don't plan, don't wait too much. If you are, you know, getting married, enjoy that part of your life. Enjoy getting married. Do that. If you are talking about having kids, just do a dive into it. It's the most rewarding thing you'll ever do in your life. Um, I think to have that is going to be important because that's what will help you set a goal, right? So at first, when you're making money, I would say, okay, we're making it and we're maybe setting some money aside for the what ifs or some of those wants, maybe not necessarily need. And for things that may or may not come up, oh, let's look at maybe traveling. Oh, let's take a little vacation. Let's save up and buy that big TV or renovate the house or whatever you guys decide that you want to do. Um, but I think that when you start having a family, when you get married and you have kids, that all of a sudden starts to set that path for you. And now you all of a sudden are taking the backseat a little bit. And you know that you're not just saving for things that you want or need, but what your children are going to want and need or setting up things for you and your wife in the future of what you're going to want and need maybe after kids. And so that's what really will help set that roadmap a little bit more. I think that um, everybody's situation is a little bit different as far as what they can do to set aside or what they want to work towards or whatever they um, whatever their goal is in life. But I think that whatever it is, that will start to pave that road a little bit for you. I think that's where you'll really start to see and it'll take you in a direction and say, okay, this is what I want to do. For me, it was always working. I always wanted to work. Um, work was first. I just wanted to dive into it. And it wasn't until I met my wife and started having kids that I was like, okay, this is what I've worked towards. Now I need to shift that a little bit more. Family is now first and work is not first. Um, it's allowed me a lot of freedoms to provide for my family and do things. Obviously, I still need it, but I'm now working towards them, not to further my career, but to set up our family for the future. And well, that changes the mentality a little bit. Okay. All right. So, well, I mean, what you're saying is basically what I teach, which I think at the early age, the sooner that you can develop the right um, habits with money, right? Because habits, whether they're good or bad, um, can really hurt you if they're bad. And even the good ones, you got to be careful of because um, I'm, I'm a huge believer in goal setting, right? You've got a goal. i, I I want to buy a house or I want to take the wife on vacation, but you're just, you're putting money into different buckets, mm -hmm. right? And saving for that specific goal. I think if uh, everybody out there can have the right mindset of money as a tool and not using it as just freelance Yahoo, let's just do what we want, which unfortunately seems to be what is the norm, sure. right? Yeah. Um, that you were more, you were more self-disciplined with your time and your money. And I always just say, listen, you've got to learn how to act uh, different with your time and money if you want to end up having some sort of financial success in life. Not Because there's a lot of people that have success in life, but not financial success, sure, right? Yeah. And all money does is give us options, mm -hmm. period, right? The more you have, the more options are available to Absolutely. you. And the less you have, the less options are available. But everybody wants more options. It's natural. We're humans, right? We want the brand new car every two or three years. Mm -hmm. We, you know, we want to wear the nice clothes. We want to go out to nice dinners. But I think, you know, if you self-discipline at the early age and create those habits, 
of distinguishing wants and needs, um, you're kind of a clear case here of showing how you're really reaping benefits of your hard work. Like you said, you're really work oriented. Yeah. Um, and I think you have to be because when you, if you start too late, then you look back and you have some of those regrets and then you say, Oh, I wish I would have done that differently. And, um, you know, I, I still have some of those, you know, when I was in my early twenties, I was busy working and going to school and, um, working towards a career path that other people were partying and having fun. And, and I don't feel like I missed out too much. Um, I missed out on a few life experiences, but, um, you know, I was able to wait a few years. And then in my later twenties, our parties were, um, you know, on the beach or in other countries and, um, we got to do things. So you just do it a little bit differently. I don't think that there's necessarily a, a right or wrong way. I think that there's, um, you know, or early and late of when you figure it out, right? So it's not right and wrong. It's just if you can get there a little bit sooner and you just do it a, a, a little bit tighter, maybe, or like you said, a little bit more disciplined, then later on, it'll open up those doors that when you look back, it's not going to be a regret. You're going to maybe compare and just be like, I missed out on that. But I because of it, I was able to do this. And you'll get a little bit more of that sense of fulfillment. I agree. I agree. I mean, I share that with the with my youngest child, Faith House. She's 21. And be careful of what you believe is, oh, man, I can't miss this weekend, man. They're, they're going to do X, Y, Z, this right. party or whatever. I'm like, those on a scale of fun are about a two. Mm-hmm. As you get older in life and you're making money, will you Fun is I'm taking my family on this amazing vacation. You sure. know, maybe it's historic. Maybe I'm going to go take them to D.C. and look at all the monuments and that kind of thing. Right. Mm-hmm. So sacrifice when you're younger. Absolutely. A bit of those little those weekends that you think it's, you know, the most important thing in your life that you make this party. Mm-hmm. And it's not. It's not. Obviously, you know, now Um you mentioned a minute ago about mentors, and I think it's really important for I. I think probably when you're if your parents aren't really leading you down the path of that way, when you become a young adult and you always want to like, hey, I'm gonna do I'm gonna do my own thing. I don't need mom and dad, right? That just it's like natural. Like, let me figure this out, mom and dad. Sure, but I think yeah. it's really important that if you're not ready to listen to mom and dad because you've been there long enough, that you get a mentor. You'd mentioned that you've had a couple of mentors. Yeah. Share with the the people out there listening. I think some people are afraid to get mentors because maybe they get scolded of what they've been doing, mm-hmm. right? And a mentor is going to be real with you, right? Have they your mentors be. been real with you? Absolutely. Yeah. And so understanding, but the mentor is there to help, yeah, right? To hopefully put you on a path of the conversation that you have. And we all have different paths, mm-hmm. right? Um, share with the audience the the value that you got out of the uh, couple of mentors that you've had yeah i mean i think that uh, and you don't have to necessarily label them i don't think um but just to have either one person that you won't maybe want to emulate or you look at somebody and you're like that's where i want to be you know later on mm-hmm. in life it can be personal it can be professional it can be um older it could be a peer um i i would probably recommend to people to just reach a little bit farther outside of your comfort zone of just maybe somebody that is on a similar path, whether it's in business, um, maybe they're in a different department, but maybe they're a step or two higher, or even if they are on the same level, but somebody that you maybe want to make an alliance with and just say, hey, I want to understand what you're learning and how you're viewing things. That way I can take that perspective, kind of be a sponge, soak it all up, and then I can make my own decisions. Um, On the personal side of it, I think that um, somebody that's not your parent is very influential and important because people don't like listening to their parents, especially at a younger age. And so if you can have somebody that's not necessarily molding you, but somebody that you can just go to as a sounding board, some advice, um, absolutely. I'd recommend just getting some other perspectives or somebody that you just feel comfortable talking to on a personal level. Um, Hey, I'm, I'm thinking about doing this. This is something that I've considered. Um, you know, what do you think? Um, 
even if it's just somebody to talk out loud where it, it's one thing to have your own thoughts and your own perspective and you think about things and you really want to sit down and know yourself. I think that that's important. But to verbalize it and then get some of that, like you said, constructive criticism, some of that feedback, some things that may be negative that um, a lot of us, we don't want to we don't want to admit to ourselves. Or even when your parents say it, then it's just, you know, you, you immediately just get frustrated. You kind of shut down. Um, but somebody else that maybe you'll take that information and you'll value it. I think on the professional side of it a little bit more, obviously somebody that can help mold you for that path. When you do say, okay, that's kind of where I want to be. I want to be like them. Maybe reach out to either that person or somebody along the way that just says, what did you do to get to where you are that I can make sure that I take the right steps and I don't have to take one step forward, three steps back to end up getting there, right? Um, it, you're going to make mistakes. You can't be afraid to make mistakes. You're not going to try and find somebody to um, get you there quicker. You know, it's not about just cutting corners. It's about making those relationships along the way because in whatever the business is, whatever your um, aspirations are, to, I think that it's going to come to a point where you're going to need somebody that's not just in your corner, but for somebody that can vouch for you and say, I know that they did the right things because they did this and then it's going to speak for itself. You know, so when you're doing your business side of it, um, you can't be afraid to put in the work, take those extra training courses, do those extra little learning things, go and shadow somebody, ask for an internship, uh, go and just reach out to another department to get some other perspectives. Um, I think a lot of times people are um, just afraid. Maybe they get a little bit too much in their comfort zone and they get somebody who's kind of that yes man. They're going to tell you, oh, you're doing the right things. Oh, you're, do you're doing so well. I'm so proud of you. But you also need that person to say you could be doing a little bit more or have you thought of trying this as well? Um, right. And you'd be surprised at how much those pushings will help you um, to figure out a little bit more about yourself or to take you maybe in another path that you never even thought was available. Well, let me, and so, I mean, you bring out so many great points and it just gets me thinking that, um, and I had a, a couple of mentors also, but I, do you feel that, again, maybe as, you know, we're men here and in, in in the women that are out there, that some people are just afraid to reach out to get a mentor because of maybe ego, um, they're embarrassed, or they're afraid to ask for help yeah. kind of thing. You know what I mean? And because like I said, I think that's why you also don't need to label it. I don't think you have to go to somebody and say, hey, listen, I was looking for a mentor. You're somebody that I just really admire and respect, and I've watched you from a distance, and you know, I would love the opportunity to sit down with you and maybe ask some questions. Right. right. That, that's one way to do it. And some people are just afraid to go and have those conversations. Maybe if you're a front desk agent and you're not going to go and walk into the vice president's office and just say, hey, can I talk to you for a few minutes? Um, but also it doesn't have to be somebody, like you said, necessarily that you have that conversation with. I have a person in my head that I've never once said it to them or really to other people about. But it's always somebody that I've just said, you know, when I make a decision in life, whether it's um, business, uh, whether it's a decision at work, an actual um, competent decision or a um, relationship building aspect or a um, training class that I attended, I thought in my in my head, you know, is that something that this person would do? Is that somebody um, that I want to emulate and be like, not necessarily to them or have the conversation, but just from a distance of knowing yourself and pushing yourself. Um, it's a little bit more of that humility, that discipline, that knowing yourself and also learning a little bit about yourself and saying, this is who I want to be. It's integrity. You right. know, just saying, um, I don't need to go to somebody and say, I'm putting myself out there. What if they say, no, I don't have time for you. Or maybe they don't look at you in that same light as you look at them. Right, and so now you're afraid right. of that rejection, um, which is very possible, especially at a younger age. People are very afraid of that. Um, public speaking, I know, is one that's always been very uncomfortable for people. And so they may not want to go out and they don't have the right words to say to articulate to sell themselves to somebody else at that point in their career that when they're just getting started. Um, you know, I think that it's important to 
have maybe both have somebody that you look up to and somebody that you're chasing after somebody that maybe you want to be that you're not necessarily having conversations with but also when you find yourself in that position where you're like i want to have that business conversation i think i'm ready start small you know it can be another peer it can be your direct supervisor and maybe just as simple as on a lunch break just going with somebody and just saying hey do you want to have coffee do you want to have this what did you think about that and just pick their brain enough to where you meant now you get to know their their personality you get to know their insights a little bit and now you can have those catered conversations later on where you say hey listen i'm really thinking about trying to get to the next step i know that you've looked at things a similar way as me because we've talked about it can you help me get there right so make it a little bit more fluid as opposed to just here's what i want to do here's i need your help to get me there or um you know here's what i want to do i don't know how to get there can you just tell me what you did right it's not an interrogation it's more of a it's a relationship have you found yourself being a mentor to someone has someone came to you and said hey t You know, like, yeah, at t- work, I've had a couple of coworkers that have come to me and just said, um, hey, you know, can you can I sit with you for an hour? Can I shadow you? See what you do as far as your um, discipline, your organizational skills, listen to a couple of conversations, um, walk me through a business decision and see what you look at. Um, you know, I, on the personal side of it, I've had quite a few people, luckily, that I've been in a position that, um, you know, I've been able to do some other things that some other people want to be able to do. And so I've been able to share some of that knowledge on the personal side to say, here's what I did, here's what I sacrificed, or here's how I went about it. Um, Little tips and tricks that have just helped me along the way. And if I can just share it with one person, and they, you know, you see that light bulb go off, and they're like, man, I how come I haven't been doing that? You know, then it's also rewarding for me as well as for them. So absolutely, I've had it multiple times. Well, you know, they always say that, um, Anytime you get a chance to teach anything, you actually will learn more of that particular subject. You know, we learn more when we actually can teach it. Right. Um, so that's awesome. And again, guys out there, if you're in this same kind of space as where Travis has been through the years and, and you're feeling kind of stuck, it's okay to go and reach out to people. Right. And, and it's okay if someone rejects you, you know, it's okay to fail. Um, I think failing is a good thing because failing is an opportunity to learn, right? If we don't fail, we can't learn. So failing or, or getting rejected, you're like, maybe there's a reason for that. That wasn't the right person for me. Mm-hmm. Let me let me go talk to Bob this time, right? Maybe Bob's going to be able to, I can get some value from Bob's conversation. So yeah, when you look at like a support system, you know, a lot of people I mentioned earlier, those yes men, right? Those people are just telling you you're doing a good job or tell you what you want to hear. But um, it doesn't give you a new perspective and it doesn't allow you the opportunity to say, to reevaluate. You know, it's one thing to know yourself, but you're going to change. And so I think along the way, you need to have some of those reevaluations. Um, you know, I don't know if we dove into it too much about what it is that I do, but, you know, I started working at Best Buy at the young age. I worked for Caesars Entertainment. I've now worked at MGM Resorts and I do sales and marketing. And with a lot of mine um, along the way, there was a lot of times that I failed or times that I just said, you know, I should have been farther along in my career. I should have a better title. I should be making more money. Everybody wants to do that. But I think that, um, you know, taking a step back and saying, okay, well, how am I compared to this person? Or how am I compared to this department, this property, this company, right? And so looking at things a little bit more macro, um, you need some of that perspective and you'll need to reset and you get to know yourself. Once you get to a certain point, you think, oh, okay, I've gotten there. And now, um, you know, you've reached the top of the mountain. But when you get over that hill, all of a sudden you look up and you realize, oh, wow, there's another one right over there that I need to get to. So I think having those other 
um, uh, checkpoints along the way of yourself personally, professionally, mm-hmm. and with other people, um, the rejection or those conversations that may just be negative that just says, hey, you've gotten to this point, but just want you to know that looking back at it, your reputation now is X, Y, Z. And some people, they may not like that. So maybe they want to change their reputation along the way, whether it's um, being too hard or being a micromanager or just being... You know, sometimes people are a little bit so focused on business that they just end up forgetting that there's a human element to it of just saying, hey, you need to work on those inner relationships as opposed to just the external. It's not just about the customer. It's about your support departments, right? Whatever it may be. Um, and so you need that reevaluation along the way. Mm, yeah, I'm just going to say self-evaluate. I mean, we should probably self-evaluate almost regular, like every six months or so, right? I mean, life goes so fast. You're recognizing now how fast life really goes. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's crazy, especially with kids, right? You're like, mm-hmm. holy mackerel, my kid's five already. I just had them. What's yeah. going on here? Right. Uh, Absolutely. Self-evaluate. Check what you need to do. Sometimes you got to take inventory and clean house, so to speak. Right. Oh, yeah. Maybe you've been hanging around the wrong people for the last year or whatever. You're like, I got a clean house. You know, I am the five people that I surround myself with. Let me be careful who those five are. Yeah. Right. Uh, To to level up, get get yourself to the next level that you want to get to. That's awesome. And, And again, I think there are people out there that are I think we hear these things through life, but mm-hmm. you know, maybe every five or six or eight years, you're like, oh man, you're, you're right. I remember hearing that mm-hmm. five years ago, but it kind of just went in here, one out the other. Yeah. And now you're ready to listen. So, which brings me to, so we talked about, you know, you did some you, high school, like everybody, you did some college, but how much through the years here, and I think today the benefit of uh, millennials and the younger kids compared to my era is, um, the opportunity to leverage uh, technology through more learning, right? Not necessarily you're saying, hey, I'm going back to college to get degree X, Y, Z, but how much do you self-educate today via the internet? Yeah, um, you know, I think for a lot of people, especially with the millennials and even younger, um, it's the social aspect has has changed, right? You're not having the one on one conversations. Um, It's a lot more group chats. It's a lot more of um, getting other perspectives from your friends and getting information from where they're getting it from. Um, I think now more than ever, we're seeing a lot of the um, clickbait, the fake news, right? Different avenues that you don't know what's real and what's not. And so what a lot of people, what's real is perspective, right? They say perception is reality. And I think it's whatever it is important for you, as well as the conversation with your friends, um, that's what's going to kind of mold you. And so um, the one thing that I would say with that is if you're the smartest person in your group chat, you should find a new group chat. You know, absolutely. Yes. I would say if you are the smartest person in the room, hey, you're in the wrong to room, see everybody. You're um, the wrong I'm going to open up this door and just mm-hmm. see where that takes me. Because um, first of all, you're probably not as much as you may think you are. You're probably not. Um, but if you get to that point where you do feel that you are, then I would challenge you to just say, hey, find some new friends, find some new perspectives, find some people with some other avenues and say, hey, where are you getting your information from? And what, what kind of things are you doing to um, better yourself personally, professionally? Um, how are you learning new things that's shaping you so that you can shape a spouse, a child, something in the future, right? Mm-hmm. So that perspective, I think, is really important. Um, I think for the technology side of it, uh, a lot of people want their information quickly nowadays, right? So right. you had newspapers and you've had media and radio and you've had television. Um, obviously, we're now getting into podcasts more. And I'm a big podcast listener. I've been listening to podcasts for a few years now. Um, I love getting my information that way. But um, a lot of times people don't want to sit and listen to a half hour, an hour, or read a news article of even 10 minutes. They want to know something quickly. Um, but I would just say it's okay to slow down. 
I think the retention of the information is more important than actually where you're getting it. Um, whatever avenue, whatever your belief systems are and whatever your um, your friends and your inner circle is, um, it's okay to have that. I would challenge you to find perspective that listen to the other side, play devil's advocate a little bit, learn and try and make your own conclusive decisions, but also your own um, opinions and challenge other people to get outside of theirs. Um, but for whatever it is and whatever avenue you're getting it on, um, I would just say that people want, I, I think organically, they want to have conversations about it. They have their opinion and that's just inherent in human nature. Um, but I would definitely just say, try and get some more perspective. Don't be too quick to get it all. Really read for comp uh, comprehension, really try and understand and digest what you're learning and then say, take it a step further and say, okay, well, now that I have that perspective, now that I have that knowledge, what am I doing with that? Right. And uh, I had a simple conversation with my boss actually the other day of talking about some financial stuff and some small things that I do. Um, and when I told him some of those, you could see the light bulb go off a little bit, but then taking that information and see how he's going to cater that to him or if he's actually going to take that and apply it. Um, and so the seeing that come full circle, I think is for the younger generation, I think that's the most important right now is to take it, learn it, apply it, challenge it, and then take that and then run with it and expand on it. You know, I think you touched on uh, all of that is is really um, about uh, belief systems, right? Mm -hmm. Because everybody's belief is different and, yeah. and belief systems are so powerful. Mm -hmm. Like it's so hard to change someone's belief. And, yes. and, if, and if you believe you're right, right? In their belief, they're right. Who's right? Yeah. Right. And you'll always find something that will support your your belief. Your belief. You know, so I agree. If, if you continue going to the same avenues and the same channels or talking to the same people, you're just going to keep getting that same information. It's going to push harder and harder to do it. Um, and if that's your belief, then that's fine. It's not necessarily anything wrong. But again, I would just challenge somebody to listen to the other side. Yeah. Be get open. Some perspective. Be open. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, because even if you are right and maybe you want to portray to somebody else, now, but that you had that conversation, now you can relate to that person a little bit more and you can explain to them, um, you know, either why you're right or, or your perspective so that they can say, okay, I hadn't thought about that. And maybe it'll open up something for you too, to just say, also, even though I am right, this is a different belief that maybe um, is out there or that I should maybe look into because this is my belief. That's your belief. Once maybe not right or wrong, but Maybe I want to learn a little bit more about yours to understand. And now if I want to get my way or I want to understand and then have that conversation that I want to cater to you and have that communication. Now I have a little bit more insight as to what your mentality is. Let's segue into belief systems into I know a lot of what you do um, or you've been doing and um, about credit and debt. Mm -hmm. Right. Because. There's a lot of folks out there that struggle to get to achieve good credit or struggle with debt. And and it's a mindset and a belief system of why you're either on the high end of that, both of those things, credit and debt, or you're on the low end figuring out how do I get out of this thing. Yeah. So I'm trying to remember how long ago when we first had this conversation. It, it's been years, but I know how you basically handle your your credit and debt now. But let's share with the audience what you believe with credit. Yeah, um, I, I think it's important to play the game. I think that um, 
they say that no credit is worse than bad credit. Um, you know, somebody wants to take a chance on you. You're just numbers on a screen to a lot of people without having those relationships for evaluations for finances, cars, credit, debt. Um, you, you want that number on the screen to pop. And at the end of the day, you have to play the game in order to get that number up there. Um, I don't know what the future will hold for the credit system, but I can just tell you from my you know, my experiences and how it worked was when I started young and I bought my first house at 20, I realized that that money that I was going to be spending instead of wasting it on rent, I wanted to go ahead and buy something. Um, I was leasing cars and I decided to buy cars. Um, you know, when I was able to, um, travel and go to California, then it expanded and I w- it allowed me to go to Costa Rica and Thailand. Right. And so doing some of that stuff, um, the little things that helped me along the way, was um, credit and debt, first of all, I think that you have to know where you stand with your finances, going back, your budgeting, understanding what is coming in, what is going out, what is a need, what is a want. You have to pay your mortgage, you gotta pay your power bill, your cable, your cell phone, right? Your little things that you're gonna have, those are your bills. What is that number at the end of the month? Figure out what it is and then figure out what's coming in. As long as there's a gap there, you're good. If there's not a gap there, you gotta figure out what you're doing and pull you're back in trouble. a little bit. Yeah, I think... Um, the other big thing that you and I have talked about many times is um, how can I leverage that a little bit, right? These are numbers that I'm going to have to pay anyway. So one of the little things that I do that I've always done and uh, pretty much since early 20s, I would say, I know for sure I've been doing it over 10 years now, pretty, probably pretty close to 15, um, is that these bills I'm going to pay anyway, right? I've got to pay my cell phone. I got to pay the water, the power, the cable, the trash, right? All those little bit ancillary bills. And each one, that dollar amount's not going to change, whether I pay the cable company, the cell phone provider, right? Whatever that company is, I'm going to pay that amount. So what I started doing at an early age was I consolidated. And I said, instead of paying all of these bills at all different times, they're all due on different dates, right? Sometimes your paycheck comes in at a different time. Ah, I can't pay that one until Friday. Um, what you do is you go in and you set all your dates to be on the same day. For me, it's the 20th. It worked out well just because I'm going to have to pay my mortgage on the first of the month. That's not changing. So I want to pay my mortgage at the beginning of the month. My money's going to go towards that. Now I got a couple of weeks, depending on what a holiday may fall, wherever it goes. Now I know that by the 20th, I'll for sure be getting paid again. And now I can have some more money set aside that I can pay those other bills. So for me, I consolidated and I broke things down into twice a month. Whatever that may be for you, whatever the bills are, the total, you can try and make them about even, cut it in half and half, depending on what your pay structure is, whether it's weekly, biweekly, whether you are waiting on a bonus or commission check, um, whatever those dates are for you. But I would segment it and just try and break it up a little bit. That way it's not the sticker shock of just saying, okay, all of a sudden on the first, my entire bill is due. Um, For me, luckily, I'm in a financial position that that's not necessarily a concern. So I do pay all my bills up. Uh, at one time. So what I started doing was I started paying all those bills on a credit card. So for me, it allows me to play that game a little bit of playing that credit and debt for bills that I'm going to have to pay anyway. So what I did was I started paying every bill that I could possibly pay on a credit card. I pay it on a credit card. And at the end of that month, I pay that credit card off. I'm going to have to pay it anyway. So what I'm doing now is two things. I'm now never late on a bill because I set up an auto bill pay on this credit card that I always pay every bill on that. So I never pay a late fee. I don't think I've paid a late fees ever. Um, and with that, now these are bills that I was going to pay anyway, that I'm not going to get anything for now, depending on your credit card, I could be getting points. I could be getting miles. I could be getting cash back. Um, you know, I, if you want to sign up with a credit card and get your airline miles, right? You spend 3000 in the first three months, you're going to pay those bills anyway. So 
put it on a credit card. Hey, now you got your next flight paid for on that credit card. Um, if you're going to put those money on a credit card for your points, okay, well now you can use those points for travel, dining out, a nice dinner and say, hey, let me take you out. This is money maybe that I didn't necessarily have set aside, but after a few months, hey, all of a sudden I've got some extra money. You can apply that towards your credit card bill and actually take that down. Um, there's a lot of blogs and some other people that are really cognizant of their travel usage, credit cards, mm-hmm. points, miles, uh, cash back. Um, so I would definitely recommend diving into some of those, whatever works for you. If you're younger and you want to travel, find one of those. If you are a little bit older, you got some family and you don't get a nice date night every now and then, hey, save it up, get some double points on your food and beverage, and then go out and have a nice dinner. Um, or, or if all of a sudden those bills, they get a little bit tight on you, now you can use some of that cash back and just use it towards those credit cards. So whatever it is for your situation, I think that it can apply towards everybody. But now you've got your finances, you've got everything all set, you're getting something out of it, which you were going to pay anyway, but now you've consolidated. And then the bigger part, obviously, is now it's building up your credit. It's going to show that you're using whatever your overhead is, whether it's 1000 a month, 5000 a month, but it shows that you're using a credit card, spending three to $5,000 a month on your bills, and that you're paying them in full every single month. Now, this credit card company is looking at you and you're like, this person's spending fifty, sixty, hundred thousand $100,000 a year with us. Now, all of a sudden, we're going to throw some extra at them. Hey, here's an appreciation. Here's some extra miles. Here, we're going to upgrade you. Here, we're going to give you um, XYZ. And so it's allowing you to play that game or doing things that you're going to do anyway. Right, right, right. I remember, you know, we talked about that lesson years ago. And I think the thing is, is that a lot of people out there, um, I like to say, Playing the game, right, as we mm-hmm. talk, uh, and the credit game is a whole part of the game, but understanding how to play the game and the rules, because like any game we ever learn as we're growing up, if you don't know the rules, you can't win, <laughs> sure. right? So I've got up here on the board the five things that people really need to memorize, what the five characters are uh, building your credit and, and which ones are the most important right? They're all important. But as we can see here, um, number one is payment history, right? And so by you putting your bills on autopilot through a credit card, you're never late, right? And that's 35% of your score. Absolutely. So that's huge. So you're you not, not going to worry a about late it. Fee, oh, late feeds. A late fee adds up, first of all, financially. But when yes. you think of the ding on your credit and how long it takes uh, to come off oh, of it. Oh, then it takes, yeah. Oh, it's I, brutal. It's time. So the next one would be the capacity used, right? Mm-hmm. Which means what they want is you. We've everybody, you got to stay under 30%. Yeah. Now, when we say 30%, if you only have one credit card, that's easy math, right? I got a $1,000 credit card. I got to stay under 300 bucks, right? But for people who are out there who have multiple cards, three, four, five, six, seven cards, do the math, and I'll just use round numbers for you guys. Let's say you have $50,000 worth of credit cards. 30% of that is 15000 So it's the combined 15000 on the cards. It's not per card. So like you're saying, because sometimes, hey, my goal is to take the family on a Christmas vacation. It's May. Hmm. I'm going to use that credit card a little more heavy because I don't want to pay for the airfare. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And so using that capacity use is very important. Don't go over that 30%. That's when you're going to get a ding in your credit. Yeah. And in my business, we actually do extend credit. And that is an evaluation that we look at. We look at um, you know installments, what people have on their real estate, anything mm-hmm. revolving balances of what their credit cards um, and what their available is. And that's actually a major factor of what we do in my right. business of evaluating it. So right. I can definitely attest to that. Yeah. The next one's going to be credit history, right? And what they, what they really want to know is how long you've had credit. Mm-hmm. And so for some of you out there that uh, I know plenty of people that started credit when they were younger, got 
got in trouble, then got away with it. And they're like, oh, I'm never having credit cards again. Whew, it took me years to get out of that pickle, right? And then they get scared to start again. But you got to get started again. You got to play the game, yeah. right? Like we said, no, no credit is worse than bad credit. Even. Right, right. And l- unless you talk to Dave Ramsey, who he has no credit score, he's happy about it. But the man's made a lot of money in a lot of years. He pays cash for everything. And I go, okay, well... He, we have to work to that, yeah. you know, to get there. So, so, but my point is it's 15% of your score, your credit history, and your credit history start, has to start off with minimum two years. So you can expect during your first two years of building credit that you're not going to get real high on the chart. Sure. Because they're, they're looking for history that you're going to stay consistent with your payment history and how much your capacity is used. So then the next one in line um, is your types of credit used, Right. You know, every time we go, if you go to a store like a Macy's or Dillard's mm-hmm. or something like that, as soon as you go check out to buy whatever, what do they always ask you? You want 10% off today? Yeah, yeah you want op- a open card. a Dillard's card, open yeah. a Macy's card. You're like, no, thank you. Right. <laughs> and and again, you guys can open whatever you want out there, but you're not getting anything from those people. There's no, no perks. Mm-hmm. You know, So like Travis is saying, if you're not going to get perks, guys, if you're not getting miles, money, cash back or points. I don't use them. I don't. You know what I mean? Use the majors and and even the majors. You got to be careful. Get the majors that are giving you one of those things. Mm-hmm. So, but they that's that's ten percent of your score because um, if they see that you don't have major cards and you have all you know store cards, that's not helping you. No. Yeah. That, they want to not... see you know cars. They want to see um, even something. If you go to an electronic store and you buy something significant, and you're paying it. You yeah. Know, Best but... Buy. You go spend fifteen grand at Best Buy on TVs. Yeah. Okay. And that'll whatever. build it up a little bit. But yeah, if your cards are, um, you know, you have a gas card, you have a, a Macy's card, and and your Target Red card. Yeah, it, your credit's not going to move up as fast as actually having credit and debt actually going and signing on a loan or a lease for a car. Um, going out and actually getting a major credit card that you're utilizing um, that the credit score is just like any other skill that you're learning right if you were just go sit down and play piano the first few times is going to be really hard all of a sudden you learn to play you learn to read music all of a sudden you're doing it this is an, a new skill that you're gonna learn it's a right? new skill set yeah, and so you can... yeah you have to know what to do and and how to go about it and again not to cut the corners but you want to know that it can get you there the, the quickest way possible And then the last one here, which is 10% also, but still vitally vitally important, which is a past credit applications. So you can't go out there and just start putting applications for credit in in all these places because now you look to them to their eyeballs. The way they look at is you're being desperate now. I'm trying to open credit all over the city. If you're a business, if you're a businessman, you're an entrepreneur, you own a business that's different. This is personal credit. So be careful out there. Don't try to uh, get five Visa cards in one month. Right. You've got to slowly trickle them out there. Try to get one or two cards a year. And then over time, you get what you what you're looking for. Yeah. And I think as part of that past two, I would also be careful with closing credit cards. Oh, you know, I would definitely just, you know, oh, I signed up with that mileage card. And so we got those free flights. But I also wouldn't close that one and just be like, eh, because they're going to look at that later on and say, okay, well, this person, we don't need to give them too much credit in that because all they did was they used it. They took the perk and then they left. Yeah. You want to build up that credit. It's okay to not use a credit card if you have an open, but an open line of credit. And that's going to help out again with that percentage like we talked about earlier. So I, I teach a lot about the credit cards and the thing with credit card is yeah, hundred percent. Number one, never actually close it. If you don't want to use it anymore, put it in the drawer. Although 
a little side note on that would be this. So you've got a credit card for whatever reason, you got another one that gives you, you know, a higher percentage rate return, whatever the perk is better. So you're like, you don't want to do this XYZ card, put it in the drawer. But I highly recommend that you go out there and charge at least once a year. Just go have lunch, mm-hmm. right? Just go 20, 30, $50 lunch, whatever it may be, have lunch on it, pay it off, put it back in the drawer. Because what happens is, and, and I, I've witnessed it time and time again. People will will come to me and they'll and they'll want to be purchasing something and they go, Oh yeah, this credit card has ten thousand dollar limit. I'm like, okay, cool. And then we get ready to start to close a transaction and and all of a sudden it's denied. And they're like their eyeballs are like, What do you mean it's denied? I got perfect credit, it's got ten thousand on it. We call them up and they're like, uh, yeah, Mrs. Jones, um, that card now has twenty five hundred dollar limit on it. And they're like, What are you talking about? I haven't used it in six years. That's why, why, right? (laughs) So because credit is, if you don't use it, they're going to give it to somebody else who will use it, Sure, right? Understanding that credit cards make money every time we swipe. So if you're not swiping, you're not making those guys money. They're going to go give it to somebody else. Um, The other thing is, is understanding the number. I think there's a misconception out there of the number that you have to have, depending on what it is that you would be applying that you need credit for, say a car versus a house versus uh, a TV, right? And I've got up here on the board, we can see um, the five factors that are up there. And the middle one, which is called FAIR, 16% of the people have it, it scores between 650 and 699. So you're FAIR. You're not like high risk. Um, you can get financed for Best Buy, a car and or a house. The difference is the interest rate you're going to mm-hmm. get, right? So the better the, the the credit score you have is the better interest rate you're going to get. And so really, it's it, what, what really boggles my mind here is that the good credit score, which is between 700 and 749, and only 10% of the people have it. And you can see the excellent credit at 28%, which is between 750 and 850. And it always cracks me up when I would talk to people and they'd have a credit score like, oh, mine's 810. No, I can't buy that because that'll hurt my credit. I'm like, you're at 810. <laughs> if you buy it, it might go to 800, yeah. maybe 790. I bought a car last week and mine dropped uh, seven points. Seven points, right? Yeah. Now, if your score is eight, whatever, and it drops seven points, what they look at, right, is, and I always like to say, anything over 750 is gravy. Meaning you're going to get whatever you want at the best interest rate. Sign here, sir or ma'am, right? So don't, don't, I'm just sharing with the audience out there. Don't beat yourself up that whenever you use it, that you're going to take a little hit. Yeah, that's the system. That's how it works. But when you're high enough above the 750 mark, it's really not going to make a difference unless you plan on buying high ticket items three weeks in a row or something. And then you should probably call them up. Right. Hey, listen, I'm getting ready to go on a little shopping spree here. I've saved a lot of money and I'm going to finance to leverage my cards because I want the perks and then I'm going to pay it off at the end of the month, blah, blah, blah. Right. And and they'll understand that. But um, so everybody out there, don't beat yourself up that you're 670, 690. You're, you're OK. You you can get your car. You know, you can even buy your house. Just strive to get to that 750 as soon as you can to get the the best possible rates that are available out there. And this includes your insurance. Insurance companies will drop you when you get below 650. They'll fly the lot of them out there just flat drop you. Now you got to go pay high rates with, you know, some of these other, and I won't put names out there. Um, and next thing you know, you go from paying, oh man, my insurance was a hundred a month. Now that's 175. Why? I didn't do anything wrong. Oh, you didn't pay some of your other bills and your score dropped. Oh, okay. Get back on track, sir. Right. So just just be aware of that when you're out there, guys, that 
Your credit changes every two weeks, number one. It's every other week it moves. And you could literally get a score to go from 650 to 750 doing the right things in about three to four months. It does not take years. Um, I always like to preface with, unless there's an what I like to call an anchor on your credit, if you got a judgment or a lien, like people have IRS liens or something, that's an anchor. That's an anchor, and it's not going to let you go up until you take care of that. So, And that's why it's real important to monitor your credit. Uh, yeah, absolutely. I, I have and a freeze monitoring it. system that I Freeze do it. Do you freeze month. your credit? Uh, no, not typically. I don't... For me, with my system, I don't necessarily do it. Um, I don't utilize credit a whole lot. Like I said, my monthly bills, my revolving, um, I do. But other than that, I don't, especially anything big ticket that's going to move my score. Like I said, we we did buy um, uh, a car earlier this year. I waited a few months, bought another one. Um, and I, I knew that it was going to take a hit, and I knew that. So I wanted to take the time to make sure that I was building it back up. Um, it's okay to take the hit on your card because... Once you get the credit, then obviously you're not going to be buying another one, like you said. And so you'll build it right back up to where it was. But it'll also show, look at this guy. He's playing the game. He's built up his credit. Now he's able to buy something a little bit, um, you know, not outside of your means, but a little bit higher ticket item. And now it's going to show he's paying it off. And when all of a sudden you do, that's where you really get that jump up. Um, Doing, like you said, with the credit cards that I've been doing and consolidating. Yeah, my credit score, it, it stayed it's stayed pretty high most of most of my life because I haven't done too much and I was aware of it early. Um, but I helped a couple of my friends, my my wife, my mom, my um, a couple of my buddies from college, um, just along the way of just saying try it and just see. And right. I'm pretty sure each one jumped up between eighty to hundred points in uh, six months or less. Right, right. And it's again that's just back to belief systems where people just don't believe. Like, man, I'm, they're scared. They just, just fear there, right? Like, man, I don't want to get myself in a big pickle. But the reality is using credit cards to pay your bills like you do can save you financially from hackers, right? If someone hacks your account and grabs your credit card number, it's not your money anyway. Yeah. The credit card company is going to go deal with that, you know, if it's a loss or whatever it is. It's not on you. But if, if they were to hack your bank account and take your money out of your bank account, Goodbye. See you later. Yeah, that tough. money's gone. Bank's not going to give it back to you. So there's really a lot of perks. Learning how to leverage credit cards responsibly in your favor. Mm-hmm. In your favor. Well, let's kind of finish up. I'd like to finish up on goals. You know, we talked a little earlier about it. I mean, I'm a huge believer in goals. Goals to me is like, um, you know, if I want to drive from here to New York City, I'm going to use a map. Or I'm going to plug it in my GPS and my car, right? I'm not just going to get in the car, start heading east. Who knows where I'll land? Who knows where I'll be, right? So um, that's how I look at goals, right? It's it's a roadmap to what, what you want out of life and what to get. But you had mentioned, like, you don't really follow goals a lot. Um, I think you're more of a macro thinker, like, yeah, you know. But, you know but, I've definitely talked to some people, and, and there's some great, great people out there that will give you um, – knowledge roadmaps things to do tips and tricks you know writing goals down i've always heard was the biggest thing once you write it down um you're so much more likely to follow through with it um once you put it visually somewhere where you can see it you're not writing it down and putting it in a notebook that sits in a drawer right put it down put it on a whiteboard put it somewhere that you're going to see it and have that reminder that daily affirmation or weekly whatever it may be um no i think i think it is important to have goals for me myself i haven't been as goal oriented as far as writing them down and following that i like to live life have a little bit of fun and i want to just kind of let it take 
take me wherever it takes me. Um, but it's not to say that I'm not working towards goals. Obviously, I knew um, with my wife and I, we knew we wanted to have another baby and we knew we needed a new house. So we needed something bigger. So um, I have those in my mind. I don't necessarily put that pressure on myself to write it down and say, you need to have this by this date because I'm busy enough between work, family, friends that I just don't need that extra pressure. Um, but at the same time, you you have to have that discipline. You have to know what am I working towards? And when you're younger, it's okay to not necessarily have the whole thing figured out. You don't need to look 40 miles down the road, but have a mile down the road and figure it out and just say, okay, where am I going? What do I want to do? What am I actually working towards? Is it a per personal goal, a professional goal? Um, family, is it something that I want to do? I want to get closer with somebody. I want to, um, you know, re reconnect, rebuild that relationship. Um, you can have a number of goals that's going to set you up for the future. Um, for me, my financial goals, um, you know, I knew I wanted to set some money aside for my kids having some IRAs, having some college fund or anything set aside for them. Um, I knew that we wanted to have our checkings and our savings and also leveraging. Am I doing the best things with those? Another thing that people don't realize is your bank account. You know, everybody uses Wells Fargo and Bank of America and Chase and these well, big known banks. But at the same time, you're getting the least amount of interest from those. Right. So it's OK to maybe move some money to set aside and get some better interest or see what you can do to get your money working for you. So on those goals, you know, I've definitely been cognizant of them. Um, I don't maybe necessarily have a five year, 10 year plan. But at the same time, I know what I'm working towards, and it's to just continue on my path for work, one, trying to get to the next level, trying to grow my business, making sure that my family's taken care of, making sure that we have enough money set aside that we can take vacations or go on trips or um, just be able to have a nice dinner every now and then and not have to just be house poor and stuck at home and do those little things and just say, I work towards this, but now that I have it, these other things are going to suffer. You know, I still have that quality of life that I want to maintain. So those were kind of my goals. Well, I have a... a, 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 a up here uh, that I found this here, Harvard did a study back in this is back in 1979. So this is a while back, but this still holds true. Okay. It says here, Harvard MBA graduating class asked if they had clear written goals. Okay. And 3% of them said yes. 13% of them said mm, yes, but not written down. And 84% said, no, I don't have clear written goals. 10 years later, they go back to the same people. And 13% were earning twice as much as the 84%. Twice as much. And then 3% earning 10 times as much as the 94%. This is the importance of writing your goals down. Clear written goals, right? Again, it's a finish line. Where is that line, right? Again, I'm not driving from here to New York without a map. It's not going to happen. I mean, if I have a map, I can get there if I drove straight, but two and a half days, right? Without a map, oh, hell, it could take me two weeks. Like, where am I? Hey, hey, where, sir, where am I at right now? Uh, you in Oklahoma. Mm, a little off. The, okay. All right. And then next thing you know, you're in Florida. Like, mm, I took a wrong turn somewhere, right? I got to start. You know, it's just you got to have. This is the importance, and Harvard did this study. So just think about that. That's interesting. I mean, like I said, I've definitely heard it over the years, and I, I've been made aware of it. Um I unfortunately am going to fall in those uh, thirteen percent that yes. says yes, but not written down. And well, the thing it's 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 ten times as much as they earn ten times. I mean, Grant Cardone is a huge like uh, you know I know you and I are both Grant Cardone followers. Um, he he writes his every day, right. twice a day actually. Yeah, yeah, he writes it when he goes to bed, and then actually when he gets up again, he wakes up with a different mindset. He's like, ah, oh, I forgot about these, and he always writes his goals. As uh, like they already happened. Right. 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 He's like, oh, yeah, I'm a billionaire. 
Right. I mean, he is but pretty much there. But I mean, during his career, his, you know, uh-huh. he talks about how he would he would write them down like they already happened. Right. And we all know his successes today. But again, this is a Harvard study. It's reality. It's true. So for you guys out there that maybe you think you don't have time or it's not for me or, yeah, I'll do it later. It's vital. It's vital to write things down and follow a goal. Follow yeah, and as somebody that's been there and, and, and kind of worked in, in business for a while and had that perspective and, and just had a little bit quicker to the to the game than, than maybe some other ones, um, I would just also really like to hit home that goals can change. You know, I, I think that sometimes people just put a lot of pressure on themselves that they're like, I have to do this. This is my goal. This is what I'm working towards. Um, you know, sometimes wrenches get thrown into there and it's okay to adjust them. Um, I wouldn't adjust them too much. You know, if you have a five-year plan, I wouldn't push it to a 10. But if it takes six extra months or an extra year, it's okay. Also, I think that if your goal was to say, you know, I'm saving up to buy this house because um, I want to move here. And all of a sudden, um, you know, I, I got pregnant and I'm starting a family and something gets in there. Hey, you know what? That goal, it's okay that, that if you have to change it. Um, uh, but I would just say, um, replace it. You know, yeah. no, no, it's no, okay no. to adjust it, but don't just say, eh, I didn't do that one. Because later on in life, you're going to look back and just say, I, if I was working towards that and I had the time to get there, maybe I just needed to pivot, right? And I just, my goal has changed. Now it's to make sure I have X amount set aside for my kid, or I need to make sure that I get to at least this point in my career. That way, at least I know that I'm making X amount of money because I want to be able to save this much to put my kid in private school. So whatever it may be, whatever your goal is, it's okay to maybe not necessarily attain it, but also um, to just pivot and make sure that you hit a new one. Well, actually, some of the studies out there, the way they describe goal setting is this. Set your goals where you believe they're just outside of your range because you should reach 80% of your goal. If you reach your goal, like you said, let's say you put a time on it. In five years, I want X. And you actually get that in four years. You probably didn't set it high enough, right? Because setting your goals where they are just a little out of reach will actually um, make you change in order to achieve that goal, right? I'm going to push yourself harder this could be a physical goal a monetary goal the family goal whatever that goal is right just put yourself out of your comfort zone to reach that goal and when you get there believe me you'll be like i made it And if it took six years instead of five years that's still okay like and then again like you said you can pivot your goals are always going to change especially when you know your age or younger and you're falling in love and you know now you've got a uh sit with your new future wife possibly and there's two different mindsets here and you got to figure things out yeah you're going to pivot for sure you're yeah. going to pivot because her goals well i want to do this well i want to do that well yeah. let's meet in the middle yeah you don't want to set them too high where you're not attaining it and then you're just getting frustrated yeah then you get frustrated um you know if you set it too low and you hit it, it you'll build up a little bit of that confirmation you'll feel good and you'll be excited because you're like i i did that and you do need some of that um but you know there, there's a short term there's the long-term goals and i think that just know what you're um you know, know what you want to do, try and figure it out. For the younger listeners, absolutely, I would say it's okay to not know, but try and figure it out or at least have an idea, have something that you're working towards. And even if all of a sudden you get halfway there and you're like, this is not what I want to do. This is not for me. I thought that I did. And once I got into there, I realized other aspects that I didn't have it. Totally fine. Readjust, reevaluate, reset. Um, for the older listeners, especially for people that have already been there, done that a little bit, and they're like, yeah, we know this kind of stuff, but um, start looking and say, okay, well, now let me reflect. I hit some of those goals. What did it do for me? Where did it put me at now? And what can I now do with that, with that knowledge, with that 
financial freedom with uh, my kids. You know, I did what I said that I wanted to do. What now? You know, right. I would just challenge people to continue doing it. Um, short term, long term, realistic, attainable. You know, all of those are just so important to have. Um, and, and yeah, as far as writing them down, I, I know that the daily affirmation, weekly, monthly, whatever it is for your goal, um, visualize it. It really is important. Some people say, oh, they're book smart, street smart, visual learners. Ah, it's got to have it. I'm telling you, look at it, see it, believe it. it you'll get there. Yeah, for sure. Well, Travis, I want to thank you for coming out, um, sharing. Man, we gave a lot of good value today. It was oh, fun. Oh man, I it think some people are out there, millennial, whatever age. I mean, I mean, we talked about credit, tradition, these goals right now. Um, just a lot of stuff, and the fact that you're out there, you're listening, means you're being proactive, right? That you want to learn, you know, because podcast is called Money Conversations with KJ. So again, Travis. Thanks for coming out, for joining me, sharing your story. I believe, again, get good value to the listeners. Um, so listen, if you like what you heard today, please subscribe, you know, to my podcast. And if you're on YouTube, subscribe also there and smash that like button for me. Obviously, I got to... Uh, for the algorithm, uh, they like to feed me more people the more you smash that like button. So listen, I'll be releasing every Wednesday out here. And uh, again, Travis, great to see you again. I know I'll always see you regularly we're family we come out to family functions and whatnot and the kids are all good absolutely everybody's great this was so much fun i appreciate the opportunity to get on here and vocalize some stuff that's worked for me i hope that it helps somebody out there just to uh realize that uh, somebody's been there they've done it and you can too you know I've, I've, for me uh like i said i finally found that i got to the point in my career where i really wanted to be and now i've gotten to have my family start to grow my son's five my uh, younger one is one my wife and i've been married for a few years now so now my goals are changing a little bit you know my priorities are changing and we're getting to enjoy some of the freedoms and and some of the uh, stability that you and i have talked about over the years so i hope to be able to provide that for somebody else later on perfect perfect all right guys uh we'll talk to you next week don't forget if you want to leave a message leave a message and i'll answer any and all questions you may have all right you guys take care we'll see you next week Hey, everybody. Hope you enjoyed that episode. Uh, really enjoyed making all these episodes for you. Remember, we're just having uh, conversations with people's journey with money and the things they did right with it, the things they did wrong with it, and uh, how, how did they really come about getting their mindset with money. So uh, every episode's different. We all have a good takeaway from them. So do me a favor, hit the like button, smash the like button, and subscribe to my channel because every episode that I do is going to be different as all our journeys are different. So you guys take care and uh, we'll talk to you next week.